0: Well, good morning. My name is Cliff Howery, and I'm not a staff member at this church. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to the opportunity that's been given me to share and preach today. I've been doing this for a while. Are we getting adjusted? And that's great. Okay. I... um, was called to preach when I was 16 years old, licensed when I was 18, and started pastoring my senior year in college at 21. Now, that doesn't mean anything to what I'm going to say today, you know, kind of a thing. But I'm honored to be able to preach out of this great book of 2 Timothy. Um, I'm thrilled to see how God is is using other speakers and our great pastor for teaching through this book. And it's imperative that we really get, get this down. In this book, in Second Second Timothy chapter 3, chapter 3 and, and verse 16 and 17, you might as well just stand, if you will, out of respect for the word, and I'll read that to you. Chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, adequate equipped for every good work. Father, I pray that you would anoint us right now with your presence and teach as your Holy Spirit guides in every way that we might get what you want us to get from this scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible is the living word of God. And I, I used to say that a lot, but I I would find myself really not understanding what the living was talking about. And then I began to realize that it's living and alive because it changes lives. You know, it's not just some kind of historical book, even though it has history in it. It's not a book about prophecy, even though it has prophecy in it. But it's a living word of God that changes our lives. Some years ago, in the 60s, Sergei Kortokov wrote a book entitled The Persecutor. And it it was about his life in the military in Russia. He was a a student at at one of the schools, the military schools, and his assignment after class was to get drunk on vodka and go and beat up church, house churches throughout the city that he lived in. And he he was brutal. These guys are all karate guys, and they would go in and just beat the thunder out of the people. And even on one occasion killed a person. On one night, there was a girl that kept coming back to these Bible studies that they thought they had disbanded. And she always had her scriptures handwritten. And he snuck a page out of that because of his curiosity. Why will she keep coming back and back and back? That page was John 3.16. He took it home to his dorm and he began to read it. And God's living word began to penetrate his heart. And he prayed to receive Christ as his Lord's Savior. And then a lot of things happened. And I don't have time to tell you about what happened. But he became a great Paul of his day and time. When we begin to look at that, I believe that it's, it's important for us to see the value that we have in Scripture. That there is really value in every way. Historically, we begin to see the facts that, that certain Scripture about the Bible, it is the oldest book that we have in the Word of God, or in, in, in the world. And it's also was written, uh, started, the writings were sometimes 3,300 years before Jesus Christ. It is the oldest book, and it also it demands the Bible was written as it came f- forward <clears throat> in eighteen o four there were more than eight million copies of the bible, and every year from that day forth, twenty million bibles had been distributed throughout the, throughout the world in fifteen a d the Bible had been printed in 14 different languages. In 1970, there were more than 1,500 languages printed. The Bible remains indestructible in every way. Many people have tried, Hitler and all along the line, have tried to destroy the Word of God, but it was to no avail. The Bible is unique. It sets standards for the law and for morality. The power that transforms lives. And supernatural, the origin, is rather interesting. What makes the Bible so powerful? What is it that causes it to be a powerful tool in God's hand and in your life? I think there's two reasons, and one is inspiration, and the second is revelation. If we don't get the, the truth about inspiration and revelation, I think we're sunk when it comes to understanding the Word of God. It kind of goes over our head. And we don't really understand it and internalize it. So let's look at this word idea of inspiration. When you think of inspiration, it's rather important that it's talking about being inspired by God from in every way. As we think of that, we go to see inspiration is God breathed in every way. The rabbinical concept of that was that the Spirit of God rested on and in the prophet themselves and spoke through them so that their words did not come from themselves, but they were from the mouth of God. With that understanding, inspiration is God breathed. All scripture is, is uttered by his breath. And every, every st- sentence and word was placed there according to God's word and God's will. In the process, God used human authors to write down these words that he wanted in the Bible. And he watched over them as they, as they wrote. And so there would be no air in, in the Scripture. The Bible was written by forty different writers over a fifteen year period fifteen hundred year period, and the Bible was written in many and varied locations from uh, evil cities like Babylon to good cities like the city of Ephesus on the on the seashore. The revelation as we see inspiration revelation the big question is how did they, how did they do? How did they know what to, to write? How is that going to come about? Second Peter says something rather interesting. But know this first of all, that you prophesy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, is not one person's own in, in, interpretation. The Living Bible says it this way, many things that otherwise would be dark and different but when we consider the wonderful truths of the prophet's words, then the light will dawn in your soul and Christ. The morning star will shine in your heart. When we begin to see that unfold, this revelation is rather exciting. God used various methods in that he used direct voice. He had not only that, but he he directed writing. He gave literally scrolls into the hands of of his writers. And then there were dreams, as he gave dreams, and people used that and foretold in, in the scripture. He used the Holy Spirit as he implied that Holy Spirit breathed into the writers, and they wrote exactly what he had them to say. So in summation, Revelation is God's activity. Inspiration is God's activity. Excuse me, let me say that again. Revelation is God's activity in giving truth. And inspiration is God's activity in producing a record of that truth. And as we begin to see that unfold, there is proof of this interaction in divine revelation. Only God could predict and know and foretell the future as it came. Isaiah, for example, he predicted the virgin birth in 714, and he says all it took place and was revealed 700 years later. Micah predicted the very exact birthplace where Christ the Messiah would be born in, in Micah 5 and 2, and 500 years later, it came true. David predicted Christ's crucifixion in great detail. And that was hundreds of years before that form of, cru- of crucifixion was ever used in, in, the, in the life of the, of the people in that day and time. So the final proof, I believe, of the inspiration of the Bible is Christ said in John's 18 in John eighteen verse thirty seven he says, "This Pilate therefore said to him, "You do so you you are the king." And Jesus answered, "Yes, you have correctly said that I am the king, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth scripture. Everyone who is of truth scripture." Here's my voice. When we begin to see that, it's referring us to, to an exciting time. That Paul had a great truth as he shared those things and, and really helped us understand. That's why it's, it's very easy for us to determine false prophets in this world. We have a lot of false things going on. I mean, you can go on the Internet now and you can find falsities about everything there is. But probably some of the biggest that we know that false teaching that comes into our, our ministry, into our lives, is what we find in, in the Mor- Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon clearly states that, that it is truth, and the Bible is truth, only as it is interpreted in light of the Book of Mormon. The Christian Science, the Christian Health, their magazine and teachings, does about the same thing it declares that, yeah, we'll we'll look at that, but it has to be interpreted through our writings and our readings. And when we begin to see that kind of thing unfold, it's interesting. The key truth for us is that for most of the 20th century, a large number of members and clergy alike have dissipated away and gone away from the teachings of the Word of God. And, And you ask, why did that happen? Why was it that... That there was a time that, that there was a real strong appeal to evangelical teaching across the United States. Well, in the Re- industrial revolution that took place in the Detroit's and in the northern country or states, all of these people in the South were coming to go work off of the sharecropping, and they're going to the cities to work on assembly lines. The mainline denominations at that time were overwhelmed. They, they were good churches. They were beginning to falter in teaching the word of God. And that was called the social revolution, the social gospel. Historically, they began to say, wait, we're overwhelmed with taking care of the needs of all these people that are on our doorsteps. And we are going to take care of their physical needs. And we'll just let God take care of their spiritual needs. And there we find the social gospel. And when you go to churches today that are not teaching the word of God, what are they doing? They're taking care of, of the physical needs and not the spiritual needs. So that social gospel was the beginning of the, of the end. And Paul is warning the church at Ephesus that a, a church with, with strong leaders Pastors like Paul and Timothy, led by godly elders in Acts 20. Listen to what it says in Acts 20. Excuse me. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, I know that after my departure savage wolves will become among you and bring and and, and, and spring on the on the flock and from among you your <clears throat> yourselves men will arise and speak perverse things to, don, to draw away the disciples after them therefore be on alert remembering that night and day for a period of 3 years i did not cease to admonish you one uh, for for each one with tears <clears throat> and now i command you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So as Paul looks at that, he, he begins to understand that there are four major things here in the Bible <clears throat> that he, in John, are excuse me, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that he says there are four things that the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Let's first of all look at that idea of the of the concept of 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 reproof, and what is that talking about? The Greek word is talking about beneficial, our production, our productivity, our sufficiency. That the Word of God is profitable in every way. The original word has a sense of working on content, not so much philosophically, but what is it saying? It's not a method. Of teaching it's the idea of dealing with with the purpose of the word itself it's referring to divine instruction doctrine given to to believers through the Word of God which includes Old Testament and New Testament and the teachings of the apostles Paul says in first Corinthians two and fourteen the nature of man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. This is not an intellectual issue. It's a biblical issue as we begin to see it. The fact remains that you cannot expect a, to live a Spirit-filled life if you haven't discovered the truth about God. Knowing the Word of God. It doesn't work. Biblical untaught churches and, and biblical untaught believers are easy prey for people that are praying on, on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hosea says in chapter four and verse six, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge and I also will reject you from being my priest. I don't think that's going to help, but I'll take it right here, okay? <laughs> my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have Rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the, the law of the God, I also will forget your children. Teach me what I... In, in Job, he had it down right when he says, in Job chapter 34 and verse two, 32, teach me what I what I do not see, and if I have done sin and, and iniquity... I will not do it anymore. Maybe I will try that. So there is that idea of correction and now the word that comes up in in verse uh, in uh, in Timothy is chapter 3 and verse 16. The original word here is reproof. And the idea of meaning behind that, it means to rebuke in order to convict. And it's the idea of misbehavior. It's the idea of false doctrine. So when those two things came up within the body of Christ, there was a rebuking or reproving that had to take place and will cause a believer to mature in the Lord when they are dealt in that way. I was a student for a while at, at Oregon State and I was living in a group home for student athletes that was run by a former navigator in his family. And I was full of myself and playing football and things like that and I was cutting up with some of the ladies, girls, that lived on the third floor of that house at dinner. We were just talking. I don't remember being out of color or off color or anything like that. And I went downstairs and I was going off to the, after dinner I was going off to the library uh, to look intellectual. And a guy, an older Christian brother, followed me out to my car. And I'm 18 years old, felt called into the ministry and he sat down in my car, and he says, "He says, Cliff, I, I want you to know that what you said tonight at dinner was offensive to me." And I looked at him. I outweighed him by thirty pounds, and I'm thinking, "Is he being smart, Alec?" But he rebuked me. He reproved me. And to my knowledge, that was the first time in my Christian life that anybody had come to me and corrected my behavior. That's where we need to be as we look at that idea, the concept of being reproved and that, con- that idea. So what happens then? The divine truth becomes to be a very important thing in our lives. Uh, <clears throat> teaching divine truth that exposes falsehoods and sin will cause believers to become mature in the Lord. It penetrates the heart of the believer, his mind and his heart and his very inner si- insights. There's not only the idea of the of reproof and, and that correction. But the, in verse 16 it also goes on to say. For correction. The fact remains that correction is only used here in the New Testament. The first time it was used. It refers to restoration of something to its original proper condition. It's the idea of sitting up straight. Standing up straight. Not slouched, but standing up. It's the idea of a wagon ready to go on a tour that has everything in place. It has been corrected and uniquely done so. This is how it works with, with, with us in our lives, in our, in our day, or should be working in our lives. After exposing and, and con- condemning false belief and sinful conduct, conduct in the Christian's life, Scripture then builds them up. So it's, it's good to go to that person and correct their misleadings or their, their poor doctrine or their falsehood doctrines. But as you do that, build them up in a beautiful way. As you've begun to do that, that takes place in 2 Timothy 2.25. It says, with gentleness and correcting those who are in op- opposition, it, it prefers God may grant them Repentance leading to knowledge and of the truth. God's word nourishes us in ways that we don't understand. Our heart's desire should always agree with the psalmist in Psalms 42 and 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul should pant for thee, O God. As we begin to see the living word coming alive in our lives, it takes us into that nature. Not only does we look at these things in in chapter 3, but in verse 17 it says, it is the authority of Scripture. Paul is talking about the authority and the power in the Scripture, the word of God. As it relates to to Paul's pastor-teachers, He's talking to people like like Timothy he's writing the book to. He's talking about those that that have a tendency to want to teach the word of God. And as they teach the word of God, his anointing is upon them. They are adequate in every way, as it says in, in verse 17. It refers to the person who is complete and capable and confident in every way. Colossians 2.10 says, you have been made complete. The idea is, the idea you're fit, you're you're waking in that idea of knowledge that, that you are fit for any condition. It's being completely outfitted, fully furnished, fully equipped and supplied. For 12 years, I had a backpacking ministry in the High Sierras and I would take groups in for six days at a time and we, it was quite an ordeal because we had junior hires and high schools and adults that I would take in. And it was fun. I mean, it was really good. But we went from 7,800 feet at the trailhead, we would go to 13,000 feet. But I came to the realization that I really better have my act together because there's no stores up there. And we need to realize that when we come to realize we want God's word to come alive in our lives, we need to embrace that in every way. We need to pray for our pastor, that he is is walking in truth in every way and protecting him, praying a hedge of protection around him. And as he might have time to study and apply the truth to his life, we need to run interference for him. And shame on us if we don't do that. Because the wolves are constantly coming. They desire to to devour in every way. The word here in verse 17 is adequate. And it refers to a person who is complete and capable and proficient. Colossians 2.10 says, you have been made complete. Aren't you excited about that? You know, it's not dependent upon where I went to school or what I didn't do or what I'm doing. It's dependent upon the fact that I am made complete to the purpose purpose of Jesus Christ. That we are equipped for every good work. The idea here is enable to meet all the demands of righteousness when we walk with the word of god alive and living in every way we are equipped his very life will affirm the power of god's word which leads men to to salvation when we are In this situation of working with God and coming alongside and understanding that we are being used by God, people will get saved. I was pastoring a church in Southern California, and we had baptized a lot of people. And the director of evangelism for the state convention called me and he says, would you like to give your testimony about what's going on in your church? You've led the, the, our whole state in baptisms. And I thought, okay. And he says, what kind of form are you using to evangelize? And I said, w- w- what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, are you using the four spiritual laws, steps to peace with God, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, we're not doing that. And he says, well, what are you doing? And I said, we prayed that God would do the supernatural. And our people have caught that vision. And they are going about and they are gossiping the gospel. And bringing their friends to Jesus. And then bringing them here and we feed them. We equip them. And that's what I think why the Word of God is the living Word of God. That we are equipped. This very life will affect the power of God's Word in our lives, which leads people to salvation. As He is equipped by the Word, He is equipped to equip others. Matthew 28 says, in 19, verse 19 go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now he's talking to Timothy, but that trickles down to you and I as lay people. That, that water hits that part of the wheel that turns us around. We should be in that position of Gossiping the gospel of Jesus Christ. The key truth in this whole reality of of the gospel of Christ is when a person leads men and women to salvation in Jesus Christ, he teaches them God's truth in those believers' hearts. He refutes error in the church and he trains believers to live righteous lives. How does he do that? Through one main supreme source. And that's the word of God. We've got to have that relationship of believing the God's truth, that it is inerrant and it's something that guides our life. It's not just a book of of nursery rhymes but it changes our lives. It gets inside of us and we begin to expel that and gossip that around the the world as we go about. Scripture does two things. It gives us the information to teach and it makes our lives a living example of that truth. I was in a church um, that had having some good results and teaching and winning people to Christ. And we just built a new building and, and I'm sitting in my office and it's a block building, you know, cement block. And I'm in my study and a guy that I had been trying to witness to and he had started coming to church came in and he threw the door open. It was closed. He opens it and slams it against that block wall. And I look up and here he is. Now you have to understand this guy. He was he was his elevator didn't go to the top floor. <laughs> and he looked like some kind of guy on a atlas, Johnny Atlas, you know, kind of thing. I mean he was huge. His arms were like this, his neck was like this, and he walked like like this and And I said, "Uh, can I help you? And he says, yes. And I said, what do you need? And he says, tell my wife, finger in my face, tell my wife, she was with him, trotting behind him, that she needs to obey me. So, you know, pastors are never found in being lost for words, right? So I thought, oh, Lord, what, do you, what is going to happen here? And I said, sit down. And I turned to Ephesians, and I read the scripture, wives should be obedient to their husbands. And he says, yeah, see, that, that you know, he's, yep, yeah, that, that, that's what I want, tell her. And I said, well, let's read the next verse. <laughs> and I, I read the next verse, that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and be willing to die for it. So I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I want to talk about, you tell her she has to obey me. <clears throat> and this is God's truth, gospel truth. I said, Lord, what what do I do with this? And like I said, he was, he wasn't a full, full, full stack of cards, you know, kind of thing. And I prayed a prayer something like this. Lord, you have heard this guy, and he refuses to be saved. He's not a Christian. He doesn't want anything to do with that. So I pray, Lord, that you would make his life miserable. (laughs) Amen. And I I opened my eyes and was expecting to see fists coming at me. I stood up, went over to the door, opened the door, and dismissed both of them. I thought he was going to hit me walking by me. Three weeks went by. Slam, the door opens up. I'm sitting at my desk. And he says, you got to stop praying for me like that. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't understand. And he says, well, since you prayed that, I, my, I lost my truck. It, it went in a ditch and I, I, I ruined the, the, the axle and all that kind of stuff. And then I have lost, he was a groundskeeper, maintenance kind of guy. And he says, I've lost five contracts since you prayed that prayer. And I looked at him and I said, are you ready to get saved? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, okay. And I shared the scripture. And he prayed to receive Christ as his Lord Savior. His wife did the same thing. And that's a great story. Amen? Amen. But now let me tell you the finale of that. We're talking about the living, dynamic, powerful word of God. Six weeks later, a knock came at my door. And I said, who is it? And he opens the door very carefully, didn't slam it against the block wall. And it was this guy. His wife wasn't with him. And he says, Cliff, you need to know what happened to me this morning. And I says, sit down. So we started talking. And he says, this morning I was reading the paper and and having a cup of coffee. And a knock came at my door. And I got up and I went over and saw a guy. That overwhelmed me. That same guy that was standing some 20, 30 years later, he had moved away. He grew up in that town, and the guy had moved away. They were kids playing together on the street in in this town. And he says, When we were young kids, he was the bully. And he we were all playing on top of this house, the roof of a house. And he threw me off of that roof and hurt me. And it didn't it didn't maim him or break a leg or something, but it hurt him. And he says I was much smaller than he, and I made a a pact with myself that I was going to pump iron. And I was going to get big. And if I ever saw that guy again, I could kill him with my hands. And folks, I I'm not I'm not. Exaggerating that he would have done that, and here he is standing in the guy. On the other side of that door is this guy behind the screen. And all of those emotions kept coming up to him. And he looked at the guy and he says, "You need to come in and sit down. I have to tell you a story. Do you remember that?" Da, 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 da. He goes through that or that that teaching, and he says. Uh, I made a pact that I was going to build my body to such a point that if I, I ever saw you again, that I could kill you with my bare hands. And then he put his hand on the guy's shoulder and said, you should be very thankful that six, weeks, six months ago I got saved and Jesus Christ became my Lord's Savior. It's one thing to say, I believe in the Bible. It's another thing to live that Bible in the flesh. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we need to come to that point in our lives that we fall in love with God's word and let it be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path that we come to realize and have a love relationship with it, knowing that God is going to say things and declare truth, that if we apply it, He stamps it and says, done, actual, done. And we can go to glory knowing that we know that we know that we know that we have put God to the test and He has answered our prayer. But we have to do that through the Word. That's where it comes from. The Word of God is what, what guides us. And how can we get there if we don't have a map? I would hate to think that I could take off right now and drive to New York City without some kind of a road map. I wouldn't trust the thing on my, in my car because I can't figure it out how to do it. It, it always ends up I'm in a, in a vacant lot somewhere, you know, kind of thing. But I could, I'd have to have that map that I can follow my finger to where I'm going. That's what the Word of God is we need to fall in love with it. The issue, I believe, is that Jesus never asks us to decide for him. He's not asking us to decide to apply the Bible. He asks us to yield to him. To yield to the word of God. Father, I praise you and thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive and radiant in every way. And I pray, God, that you would guide us and lead us as we come to that point. And if there are those here in this congregation this morning that have not made a commitment to you and to the word of God, I pray that you would make that an indelible imprint on their lives. Help us, Father, to not decide for you, but to yield to you. Help us to understand the word of God is desirous to lead us in every way. And may you give us understanding to the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. Continue to bless, I pray, our pastors and encourage them and edify them and protect them with a hedge of protection that they might continually teach the truth of the word of God. That we might be found faithful and good stewards of your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. The evidences of Being under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word is that we interact with people and we pray for people. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I've stood over here with my wife and over there with my wife at this time of prayer, and it's interesting to watch what happens. Folks, this church believes in prayer. We're giving you an opportunity to come and pray. These people have been instructed. They know how to deal with that. And I encourage you to afford that that opportunity to yourself. Whatever it might be, because see, we're honoring the word of God. We're praying for one another. And let that be an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to trust God's word. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, what happens? This is a venue for that. And if you're here and you've never invited Christ, you're like my friend. No, nothing. And you need to get saved. I'll be up here. I would love to gossip the gospel with you. Let's stand. Father, I praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you and praise you for your word. Let it be a light into our path. I pray, Father, your blessings upon these folks. Thank you for the delivery in many different ways in this congregation as you've been working. And I pray that you'll give us your benediction now. Bless us as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.